I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello there, and welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. This week I am Johnny. And this week I am Callum. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, you're ripping people off now. <laughs> but I did like your radio voice. Hello there, and welcome. welcome. You know, it's very professional. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm going to ask some very benign questions. I have really benign guests and things. And like. all my guests are going to think that I'm a bit dim, but they're going to carry on politely because they know that this is a big opportunity to promote whatever thing they're doing right now. Their agent says it's very important. So they're going to smile and grit their teeth while I ask them invasive questions about their father leaving them. Anyway, um, yeah, after yeah, that ragging on Dax's chef. Yeah, I don't know what he did to us. Makes really bland podcasts. He does have this weird thing because his dad left him, so he keeps asking other people, his guests, about their dads. Oh, really? It does get a bit odd after a while. Interesting. A bit invasive. A bit, a bit like something we were talking about in our next episode of a podcast where there are always kindly dads that don't get their sons in every single one of their movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a spoiler for next week's episode and what we're going to be reviewing. Yes, yes. So, um, you know, hint there. Um, quite a vague hint, but a hint. And, and if people want hints about where and um, or, or what we might be doing next or see questions that they could answer and could be in episodes of podcasts what kind of place would people do that Callum they would have to go to Instagram or Facebook or uh, even YouTube and it was untitled film podcast one word and we put out questions we put out teasers for the next episode we promote each episode and it's good fun good fun indeed and we did put up a question for this one um it this is a double record week so it was a double question week not that anybody's answered them um <laughs> but uh we, i can't remember what they were well that we are doing prestige television today so i just put out quite a basic one this week because i'd already kind of spent on the last week on the last ironically we're recording this first 
it gets complicated. Don't worry. No, it's, it's not the audience's burden. Uh, so all I asked was, what's your favourite prestige television and why? And if your answer is one of the two shows that we're about to review, keep your answer vague because I suspect that um, I n- might know what your answer is. <laughs> but just uh, enlighten us. What, what would you say your favourite is? One of the shows we're about to review is definitely up there. Um, I would also like to put out that I have a really big soft spot, although I don't think it's perfect, for Mr. Robot. Oh, good choice. Really like Mr. Robot. I think it's quite different to a lot of prestige television. I just really like how it's shot. I like the soundtrack. Um, I mean, Malik's excellent. Uh, it's a really interesting story. I quite like things that parallel the real world, that aren't necessarily like in the real world, but kind of that, that fit beats that could work in the real world. Hence why I like one of the things we're going to talk about yes. later on in the episode as well. Um, there's lots of others I like. I've always been a Baking Bad fan. Um, Sopranos. The other show we're watching today I've always really liked. And I like Aaron Sorkin stuff anyway. I like Newsroom and things. Um, yeah, there's a lot, lot of good prestige TV out there. How about you, Callum? What well, your... I want to fly the flag because my favourite was probably The Wire. You were going to say that. But, um, you know, who hasn't spoken to death about exactly. The Wire? That's why I didn't say it. So I'm going to fly the flag instead for Deadwood because that was probably the show that got me into, like, a lot of the stuff that I am now is because of Deadwood. Deadwood was the first uh, domino to fall. So I'm a bit of a character act- actor obsessive. I love seeing blokes with receding hairlines and craggy faces and ugly but in that fascinating way Mm. and at the time i didn't know what a character actor was for love nor money then deadwood came along in 2004 and every actor on there was like a someone who was quite famous in the 70s or 80s really good in the 70s and 80s and just hadn't had great work recently and you know uh brad deriff uh leon rippey william sanderson robert and weigert uh you, you name them they're in deadwood deadwood is packed to the brim with them and i just remember it being a a wake-up call like i remember thinking all these weird creepy looking old men why why am i so engaged in what they're doing and what they're thinking you do love a creepy looking old man i I, I do love a creepy looking old man in a tv show and movie i i now giggle with glee when i see one of my favorite people and this show is packed with them it's full of them and it introduced one to um, everyone to um, Garrett Dillahunt who wasn't one then but has since become one of the kind of this generation's mm. craggly looking old men who do weird performances so thank you Deadwood we love you we love you Deadwood even if you don't have really a proper resolution even with the TV movie after that really long um, and winding <laughs> I thought it was quite sweet it's quite personal for both of us if you say so. Anyway, um, on to something else that maybe be a bit brief this week because we had to do four of them for cost two episodes, but on to the news. And what is your first piece of news today, Callum? Well, my first bit of news is that um, there's a movie uh, in the works called We Can Work It Out about the Beatles manager. Um, and um, about Brian Epstein. Yeah, so it's gone through... But the interesting part is the behind-the-scenes scuffles. It's gone through three directors now. It's on its third... No, sorry, it's on its third. So it's gone through two of them. It's on its third. So something is not right. So that's always a really good sign and puts me very confident. I know, and I just thought that... I love it when you hear stories about this. So it started with UK director Joe Stevenson, Dr. Jekyll, the, the one with... Um, 
uh, the Northern Irish actor whose name suddenly escapes me. Um, and he, so he took the reins. And then uh, Sarah Sugarman, for, uh, who did um, a lot of episodes of Vinyl, she um, left just before post-production began. And now we're on to um, Jonas Ackerland, uh, who did a, um, um, a TV show called Polar. So... This is quite fascinating. I love it when things like this happen. And I couldn't care less about the story. I like the Beatles, of course, like everyone else does. But, I mean, it sounds like a generic rock, you know, biopic. But I love it when you hear stories like this where films go through directors and they keep leaving and they keep dropping like flies because you know there's behind-the-scenes scuffles. Yeah, there's not enough money or the script is terrible. Exactly. the producer's a cunt or... Exactly, you know, all these things. Any of the possibilities that are running through your mind... It's probably one of them. Or all of them sometimes. Yes, yeah, sometimes. Like with the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, yeah, that was a big one. It was indeed a big one. Mm-hmm. And that was even before Brian Singer was a pervert. Yes, well, and um, what's your big news for the week? Uh, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, I think I know him. He has got a new movie that he's working on called The Movie Critic, which he said, I believe, is going to be his last movie. I've I don't know if I believe that. that when people say that kind of thing. I mean, how many times has Kevin Smith said something was going to be his last movie? I know. Um, but we'll see. And how many um, musicians... This is the last farewell tour. I mean, the Rolling years Stones time can't when... stop doing farewell tours. I know. Well, they're just like, oh, oh the tax bill was a bit higher than I thought. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to be able to have the seven swimming pools. I'll have to go down to five. But anyway, um, it's called The Movie Critic, and it... And he's been now been actually saying more things about it. So be based on a real person, but not as he's been speculated, Paul Kale. Instead, it'll be someone far less known. Turn to be, you know, speaking to Deadwood at Cannes, uh, uh, opened up to the explanation more about the character's inspirations. A critic who wrote for, by QG's description, a porn rag. Turns out Tarantino was really checking out such magazines for the articles. Mm, sure. That's what, uh, that's what Empire have to say anyway. Uh, he wrote about mainstream movies and he was the second string critic. He says, I think he was a very good critic. He was a, a cynic, he was cynical as hell. His views were a cross between early Howard Stern and what taxi drivers Travis uh, Beichel might be if he were a film critic. So, yeah, that's uh, sounds sounds quite, quite interesting, interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Sounds, it sounds a bit more like it doesn't just sound like a pastiche, which is what it he sounds tends quite to low do. key, more yeah. of a character study. So that could be interesting because Tarantino is a bit, for me, a bit up and down. Like he, he, and he, I think unfortunately in his more recent films just has fallen into Same. the worst of his indulgences. So like there's good in there, yes, but there it needs is, a script editor. It needs someone to go, Quentin, calm it down. I quite liked uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I spoke to someone at work and they said, oh my God, I just hated it. I hated every frame. And I felt really bad for, um, the memory of the actress that died mm, like that this Sharon, is, Tate. Sharon Tate that this is how she's being represented and I thought it did a fairly okay job at trying to kind of be more of a um, kind of a, an honour to her but I do understand that and I think this might be a better material for doing the old timey Hollywood um, it's, it's kind of hard isn't it because it's it's that kind of like um, revisionist history and you're kind of you're like yeah fuck that guy yeah i'm glad that they killed yeah in, in this version they killed, they killed them, of them yeah, killing exactly them. but it you, is a hard tightrope to walk yeah it is a hard tightrope to walk and it is like is it insensitive i, I personally don't necessarily think uh, you can, i can see how it's argued that way yeah. but i kind of think there's been enough time passed that in a way it's not 
And I know that but, um, Bruce Lee's daughter was very offended by the depiction of Bruce, Bruce Lee. Lee in it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I quite liked it. But it, it, it was a mess and it was too long. Yes. Uh, which is every quote in Tarantino recently. Yes. I quite like The Hateful Eight. But again, it's half an hour too long. It is half an hour too long. Uh, if not longer <laughs> than <laughs> half an hour too long. Um, I quite like Inglorious Bastards. But again, it's half an hour too long. Yes. Um, so yeah. He, he needs to know. I think it's Sally Menke, who was his long-time editor. She died. Yeah, she and he's never quite got the discipline back. No. Since then. So this maybe this will be it. Hopefully. Hopefully. You know, it sounds like a character study could it, be that. Is it his 10th movie he's saying as well? Because I think oh. he's kill, keep counting Kill he Bill as does, one. Oh, does he count it as one? Or does he, yes, he does he, count he it as one. He counts it as yes, one. Yes, he does. He does. And Hateful, Hateful Eight was his eighth film, famously. Mm. So maybe this is his 11th? Or is, no, is it's 10th. 10th. If, you, if you count oh, Kill okay. Bill as yes, one. Yes, yes, yes. So that's what he's saying. Okay, he's fair enough. Which is, it's, a, it's a respectable amount. I, I quite respect that instead of like bashing three out a year like some directors yeah. do. Yeah, or, or, you know, flogging a dead horse exactly. when moments pass. Yeah, at least he's, he, you can't say he's not original uh, every time he does something. I know, obviously, it's kind of like a, a, it's always looking back at something and doing something, but it's still like, you know, it, he doesn't do the same thing over and over and over again. He'll try his hand at something different. Absolutely. Anyway, Callum, what is your second piece of the news for the week? Well, do you remember a while back I um, told you that Nicholas Linderhurst was going to be in the uh, Frasier reboot? I think you did, yeah. Uh, so this is just a little update on it. it, it not really much has changed. It's just that um, um, Kelsey Grammer hadn't really spoken about it before. And it, it just took everybody by surprise. Nicholas Linderhurst is going to be in this big American... Is it Lindhurst? I, um, I'm sure it's pronounced Lindhurst. I'm sure it is. Maybe. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, him. Yeah, him. <laughs> that fella. Um, so, really, this is just him sort of um, kind of. Yeah, it is Lindhurst. Uh, so, this is him just kind of updating. He spoke to the Times. He said, Nick and I fell in love when we were doing Man of La Mancha uh, together at the London Coliseum in 2019. I, I warned the, them in America. I said, Wait until this guy gets here. You'll be doing a scene with him, and suddenly you realize he's just run off with it. He's, ex- he's an extraordinary actor, a dear friend, and I'm so pleased to be part of it. But it's more interesting that you get actors nowadays who maybe famous in their home country for decades mm. and years and suddenly they're famous in america because that one streaming show or that one person who is uh, a fan of theirs says yeah why don't we get nicholas lindhurst something that i'd be interested by to our american listeners uh, has only fools and horses ever been something that's been on like bbc america or hulu or something uh, has it got any kind of following in the states? Because obviously, a lot of that you quite often the it's known as one of the for, for those that don't know, it's known as one of the, the big British um, shows. Uh, you know, it's one of the kind of if you did a top ten British comedy shows, that is always going to be near the, the top. top. Yeah. Um, so obviously, with that kind of stuff like Doctor Who's and I think Black Adam and a lot of things, they have you know to have got a cult following. So I'd be interested to know if there's any cult following Funny Fools and Horses in the States. That would be interesting to find out too. So yeah, answers on a postcard. Yeah, or an Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, my second piece of news is, it's more. I think it's more amusing. Uh, Screen Rant put an article up this week about the status of Pirates of the Caribbean 6. So for those who haven't followed it, Dead Man's Tale, I think it was the last one. A Dead Men Tale, Tell No Tales? Something like that. And in, then in the UK, it was called Salazar's Revenge for some reason. Yeah, anyway, that one came out in 2018 and yes. actually made Disney a ton of money. Yes. 
about $800 million. Uh, so, of course, what Disney liked to do is make more money because that's how Disney work. Uh, they lo- Speaking of beating dead horses, yes. locking dead horses. Um, anyway, and obviously Johnny Depp has had some problems, so they were going to reboot it with Margot Robbie as the lead pirate. Apparently the wheels came off that wagon okay. uh, and they are now steaming ahead with six. And there's some quite strong rumours that there could be a turn return for one Jonathan Depp. Well, we'll see. Um, obviously he has started to rehabilitate his career. Started to. And the, the film at right Cannes, it didn't quite... It, it was supposed to be his kind of big comeback and it didn't yeah. quite... It didn't land terribly. It wasn't horribly reviewed, but it was just... It was a sort of nothing reviewed. Five out of tens, things like that. A, he has had a few of these as well because even I would go as far back as like Black Mass where he'd, he'd done some real yeah. dogs and, and that, that was, was supposed his kind to be of like... His, kind of oscar oh he's good again but and again he, he was good in that and that was obviously before all of the um before the, the everything right? bits and pieces and but even then the reviews were kind of they were soft in the box mm. office was, it wasn't again it wasn't bad but it was like a lot of sixes and sevens out of tens like nothing although i will say this um johnny depp has had a lot of rumors that then come out to be not true and some people start to suspect he's starting to put these out on his own Same, yeah um he was supposed to be in beetlejuice 2 and while he technically could still be uh, he hasn't worked with Tim Burton for 10 years now. Mm. I don't, I would doubt they're working together again. I really mm. would. I just, I think they've fallen out. I don't think they're going to be talking about it, but I think they've had a, something's happened. He was supposed to be in uh, Wednesday, first as Gomez, but then as um, Uncle Fester, and then that didn't happen. I think... Fred Armisen, in my opinion, is probably a better choice. That was so. a much better choice, yes. Both both choices were were better choices. A Louise Guzman yeah, uh, was a good, better choice. So I'd, I'm at the point now when I hear things with Johnny Depp, I go, okay, I'll believe it when I see set photos of him dressed as Captain Jack Sparrow with, you know, crew around him uh, or a Deadline article because Deadline is the you mm. know, top boys. Um, I'm not believing any, any other article until I see that. Yeah, yeah. We shall see. I, I, I don't either. I, I don't necessarily believe it, but I kind of think it would... It, it's probably I, the only sensible move he can make because it's the I only think, franchise he has left that can make money. I also think if Disney wants to properly... You know, often when they do, unless they completely reboot it and it's not Pirates of the Caribbean 6, it's a new series... I just don't see those films working without Johnny Depp. I think like he's a the... soft reboot won't work. They have to, they have to kind of completely yeah. retool it or bring him back. They can't yeah. do the sort of thing where, oh, well, Jack's not around anymore, so you'll be following this new pirate. Exactly. They couldn't do that. And I think the argument is that, again, rightly or wrongly, and I think there's a big Channel 4 documentary coming out about the role of social media in the, the Yeah, the it was Depp TikTok was a lot of it. Um, yeah, a trial. But rightly or wrongly, he does seem to have been rehabilitated fairly um, in the public's eyes. So I do think there is a, a path back. To, I think, you know, I don't see him getting any f- fancy new franchises, but if if Disney want to have another go at making $600 million on a $200 million budget yeah. for a new Pirates movie, I feel like they probably it could. It won't lose money uh, like every other kind of blockbuster attempt that he's done between mm. 2012 and when he stopped. Um, but this is the only thing, it's really the only path back he has. It really is, rightly or wrongly. Anyway, uh, on to the main event of our The Royal episode. Rumble. It's Prestige TV O'Clock. It really is. And this week we'll be talking about, as it is just finished, Succession. And we have watched the whole thing. We're going to be reviewing yeah. the whole of Succession. So it's going to make uh, the um, plot summary difficult, I guess. 
Yeah. I guess just summarize. I've got an idea one. how I'll do it. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair, yeah. Enough, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and then we will be reviewing season one of West Wing, although I might talk about it slightly broader as well because I have seen. Yes. And you've seen more of it more recently. I, I watched. I actually haven't finished um, The West Wing. I, I saw, I think, up till about season six. Mm-hmm. And then I, don't, I just petered out. And that was years ago. So I've watched season one recently. And I haven't watched seasons two to six for many a moon. Mm, fair. So, um, let's start with succession. Yeah. I, I'll give it a go because I think I've got an idea. Okay. Logan Roy is a media mogul. Mogul? <laughs> already fucked it up. Uh, is a media mogul. Think Rupert Murdoch, Robert Maxwell, um, Ted Turner even a little bit of in there. Um, and he runs a big Fox like news company along with a bigger business that has movie studios and um, theme parks and rocket ship companies and various things under its giant umbrella and is one of the big titans of the USA. And he has four kids, three of whom are of his second wife and are fairly close to him from a certainly a business point of view, and he would like one of them to succeed him. The older one, he's not so keen on succeeding him. Um, and the three of them stab each other in the back, claw each other in the face, punch their dad in the back, and etc. cetera. Um, <laughs> and try to become that succession. By the end of the show, you find out who gets to be the succession. That's my, that's I, my I intro. I think that was an excellent <laughs> job, considering you had to condense... 39 episodes into yeah, two hour long episode. Yeah, exactly. Well, longer than hour by the last season. Most of them are over an hour long, I think. Yes, they were. Um, but no, that was an excellent job. It so took what, me a few whacks uh, to get into this. As, as you know, mm-hmm. I, I tried it first um, and I was enjoying it, but I always felt there was a bit of distance. I felt a bit of chilliness between me and Succession. And I got up until about in the first run. Well, I, got, I got almost all the way through it, but I was watching it piecemeal, like a couple of episodes here and stop for a while and then pick up another couple of episodes so i've forgotten plot points between them so i'd be doing things like who's he what hey who's that person fisher stevens how long, how long has he been here <laughs> oh i guess he's been here for a while apparently he's been here for 20 something episodes i don't remember him who's she again and stuff like that and so i said okay it's only fair if we're going to review this because we've known for a few weeks now binge it all and it was in that binge where the magic started working i I suddenly felt it it embraced me when before it held me at a distance and i think the thing is is that the first time i watched it it it's like rich cunts do rich cunt things it's very well observed it's very well written but i don't care about these people and second go i found my way in because i started to see just throughout their nastiness throughout their insecurities throughout their um desperation to climb to the top i started to see the vulnerabilities there so uh, kendall roy played by the brilliant jeremy strong um has in the arms of a lesser actor his weak moments would have seemed to seem would seem too pathetic and passive and his uh, moments where he fights back would be seen as too uh, aggressive but throughout this there's always a scared little boy there and I started to see that, and you see that as well um, with Kieran Culkin 
as Roman, his, through all his bravado and swagger and, you know, making crude comments. It's always like, just, they're children. They are, and even though they're adult children. And then you start to remember, they're from neglect. These are children from of neglect, of abuse, um, you know, um, Logan Roy is an abusive... At minimum emotionally. Yeah. Um, arguably physically at uh, times. Arguably at times, physically. And their mother is just not there. She's chilly and distant. and British, uh, some would say. Yes, very British. <laughs> and then you have supporting characters like uh, Tom and Cousin Greg, who comes in and he's kind of pathetic. But also known as Callum. Also known as me. I, I am Cousin Greg. Um, and... And now I'm going to start saying um, and I'm going to be very conscious of all the ums I make. That's what, um, uh, well, um, Tom. And the interesting <laughs> things about those characters is that they chose to be here. You know, Greg and Tom, they chose this life. So one could conclude, even though on the surface they're more pathetic, they're more pitiable. In a way, there's evil in there that can't be excused away from... You know, they're not the products of abuse. They're not the products of um, knowing that one of them will have to succeed. Um, as these children have always known since they're children, they're just nasty pieces of work that come in. But I, I don't want to kind of overdo it on, and this character does this, and this character does this, which is the uh, risk that you run when talking about prestige television. But... The show is very good at, you know, it, one, with one arm it pushes you away and then aggressively it pulls you in when, um, you know, things happen that you go, oh, whoa, that, that, was a, that was incredible. Where did that come from? And I think it's a very clever way of writing, of both kind of showing you this is a horrible person, but you're going to pity him and you're going to be sad. You're going to cry sometimes. Uh, but I know, Johnny, that you are a gargantuan fan of this so i'll let you uh, ramble for a while yeah it's all right <laughs> i should have seen that coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it is i possibly i think i need another re I've, I've watched it twice all the way through before um but i haven't for a while i think i rewatched it the second time before the last season came out and then i've just watched this season and i think i watched all the last season twice and then i've only watched this newest season once but i think it it works on a lot of levels i think the scripts are fantastic um the the tension is palpable i think the way it's directed to show the tension as well the little cuts to people's facial expressions and you can actually you can tell so it's jesse armstrong who historically in the uk has been a comedy writer written a show called peep show that many of you may know um with david mitchell and robert webb and a lot of Peep Show is about showing people's facial expressions and showing it's, it's about people's inner monologues. And actually, the way it's directed, I think Mark Mylord did a lot of the direction, but there's, there's quite a few other big directors involved as well. Um, and they, they've used the kind of that style of um, kind of showing people's faces and showing people's expressions to try and see... So is it, you're kind of trying to work out what they're thinking in their head. You're thinking, well, that face is not a face that's believing that person or that face is really believing that person or that face is worried and, and things, which is, is quite, is, is incredibly well done. They also do something I normally really hate, but I think it really works in this show. And again, to, to show those facial expressions and things, they do the kind of like crash zooms where yes. they will like jump into people's faces to show people's faces. And normally that's used in action movies, like Bourne movies and stuff, to make it seem more extreme. Whoa! But in this, actually, it's used very carefully to show people's facial expressions, to show 
someone texting on a phone to show, you know, things that are really important to the plot. Um, I think as well, it really, it, it does a really good job of looking at that group of people in a way that I don't I think I've ever seen on TV before that probably gets it so accurately, where they are in just such another strata. They're just so wealthy. They have so much power and control. They have power over politics and power over the media and power over what, the plebs, quote unquote, think um, and and stuff like they uh, so they don't think about things in terms of like we like a you know normal people do like how do I how will this get me till I can pay my bill or I can buy a nicer house or I can go on a holiday they just think of things in terms of power and um, and how it works for them and how they win they don't think you know, in the same way that, that, that normal people think. They also don't think in the same way that normal people think that, oh, if I drive my car too fast down the road, I might hit a small child. To them, that's inconsequential. They don't give a shit about anyone else that's not in their immediate sphere. And you can tell that by the way they just don't give... Even people that are very close to them, that they, you know, work with them every day and... They, they'll fire them, they'll drop them, they'll get rid of them like a hat because they say the wrong comment or, they, or they're or they disposable to them to be thrown under the bus for their misdeeds and misdoings. I think it does an incredibly good job of showing that in a way that I don't think I've seen anything anymore, uh, ever before even. The acting is just incredible. I can't really fault any actor in it. They all seem very natural as well. It doesn't. No, no one seems forced. Every character's believable, every character's well thought out. Again, going back to like just the little facial expressions and the little motions, that's all very, you know, very well done. Um, and it, yeah, it's just a lot of act. Normally there's a show and you're like, it's really good apart from that one or two people, but I, I can't pick anyone out as bad. And it's quite hard to pick anyone out as the best because obviously initially, um, oh, what's his name? The main, uh, uh, Kendall. No, oh, no. oh, Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong, uh, was kind of seen certainly as the best of the kids but actually Sarah Snook probably second third season is the best the most interesting one and I think towards the end Kieran, Kieran Culkin, Culkin becomes I think the best sneaky um, yeah, fourth think, season win there. I think he's kind of very like a lot of emotion in him I think everything to do with the pre-grieving exactly. and then, and and then, then the grieving yeah. yeah especially in the last couple of episodes he's just incredibly believable obviously Brian Clocks is Cox is another strata but then yeah he, you know, he is just, just this beast kind of roaming yes. around the show in, in it's um, but yeah, he's incredibly believable. And it's so interesting because in real life, he's just the nicest, loveliest. Oh, no. I mean, he's, he's a bit sweary. It is a bit kind of gruff, but he's also just a lovely guy. He's such yeah, a different interviews character. Interviews with him, it, it's uh, fascinating to see. Yeah, quite different. I saw Kieran, if you listen to Kieran Culkin interviews, actually, he's like, people think he's like his character and he's just like a really nice family man with kids. And he's like, I'm not like that. Please don't think I'm like Kieran <laughs> Please don't think I'm like... Um, like Roman. Roman, yeah. Um... And like you say, all these people that you think, I fucking hate these people. I wish they'd all die. But then the next minute you're feeling really sort of, oh no, it's only, it's only because they've had a fucked up life that yeah. they're so mean and stuff. So you, you shouldn't, again, I, I'm not always a big fan of this anti-hero stuff, but actually I think it works in this again as well. Um, and then to throw on top of it, it's really fucking funny. It's it is, really that's what you get funny. when you have comedy writers exactly. taking on a, a prestige drama. I probably laugh as much at this which is a 
prestige, like you say, a prestige drama than I do the majority of comedy shows on, especially some yes. of the things that Roman says or some of the things that Greg says or some of the situations he they're is put in. a fantastic comic foil actor. Yeah. And we're going to see him showing up in some indie comedies and things. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I absolutely love it. It's, I, I think it's up there with one of the best shows of all time. I respect the decision to finish it after four seasons. I think yes, it, it, they did decision. conclude the story. Like, I could see another where they could have gone for another season. But actually, again, something that's quite... Is one of the storylines of the last season is there's a... Well, since the second to last and the last season, there's a presidential campaign going on. Don't to give too much away. But um, again, those kind of things are almost seen as like secondary to the family drama. They're going on in the background. They cause bits of drama but actually again it's like inconsequential if, if they, it's just about them winning a business again and that's quite an interesting thing so actually not finishing storylines off to do with things like that don't really matter in yeah, the, in no, the greater that, thing it's, it's, about tie, it's about tying up the family drama exactly and that's actually something that's really interesting at the core of it with all this extra stuff around which is all interesting in itself it's the family drama that really, and they, and they tie it up so perfectly well. And I think most shows don't, and again, I don't want to go into the ending. Yes. But most shows, I personally don't think stick the endings. I, I think they either think, um, overwrite it or underwrite it or, or whatever. And I think this really actually hits the nail perfectly. I think every character, you kind of have an understanding of where they finished off in, in the pecking order. Yes. I also think, um, because Jesse Armstrong has said he's a fan of the prestige television of that has come before, and you can see threads of that influences. So um, The Wire was very famous of having a main villain and Stringer Bell played mm. by Idris Elba, and then unceremoniously killing him off midway through season three. Spoiler for The Wire there, but it's been out for 22 years. You don't have an excuse. Um, and then introducing a far different villain for the last couple of seasons. And they do, um, you know, without spoiling the actual events, a very similar thing here. And you can see threads like that here or um, the way they have Brian Cox speak with a uh, transatlantic accent because Brian Cox, he can't not sound Scottish, even when he's doing his American accent. He, Scotland comes through. So and they allow Although that, my understanding actually was that was a, that was a later that was made later on and not necessarily for that reason. No, it was meant to be more Canadian, actually. But from what I understand, it was more Canadian. And then they allowed him to be a bit more Scottish, which um, has, you know, there's similar things. A similar decision was made with Ian McShane and Deadwood, who couldn't quite get rid of his mank you know, original Manc accent in uh, Deadwood. So they just allowed him to be originally from England, uh, which wasn't the case with the real person. And it just looks little, little tiny touches that you go, oh, I wonder if they were inspired by this because mm. he's a fan. I think he's also a uh, graduate of uh, American literature. And there was an article released not so long ago that's uh, from an American literature um, kind of bigwig and said the most fascinating thing watching it from my point of view is i knew exactly where it was going because of i know the same sources that he knows and i just wanted to see how well he was going to pull it off so every episode i was rooting for jesse armstrong and crew to go come on do it as well as that great 19th century american book or that's what have you yes they did it they pulled it off um but you know it wasn't spoiled by the fact that oh i know this the beats that they're going to play because i know the influences because i also studied this stuff it was this person was just happy that they pulled it off as well as the things they were influenced by and i think that's that's wonderful it, it's both new but it also is respectful of of what's come before no absolutely i think it yeah 
And I think that's it. I think it's just so cleverly written. There's so much kind of, so many beats in there that you, and I think that's another reason why it's a show that you can rewatch. There's, there's a lot of stuff you may not notice one time watch, yes. you know, the first time watching it. And when you speak to people about things afterwards and you say, I noticed that. And obviously that mirrors that from season one. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then they'll say something like, I remember in season two when this happened and it's a bit like that. And, you're, oh, yeah. and this, so there's so much mirroring or yes. foreshadowing and, and things in it, which is, is incredibly well done. No, I think it's... Um, I think it's a masterpiece, personally. It's I think it's really <laughs> great. Um, yeah, I think it's some of the best TV in a long time. And the fact it's stuck the landing after four, over four seasons as well, because there's a lot of other stuff recently. There's been, like, Watchmen, great miniseries, or Last of Us, great miniseries. But this just, yeah, as a, as a... I think you have to give something a few seasons to judge whether they can keep the momentum up. Yeah. And I think miniseries have to be judged in their own merit because they're a different beast. Exactly. I think that probably brings I us to I think so. The Otherwise, we'll just not stop talking about no, it. No, just to show how great it is. Um, <laughs> so, why not buy some of these things? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back. Um, I hope you in the break have listened to some fun adverts and are getting ready to buy some things. For a Maybe. <laughs> Snuck that probably in Probably not, because it's probably most, most of our people in the UK, but... Anyway, if you want to try and sneak that in every week, I'm going to not allow it. <laughs> Rob, can you like, edit around that, please? <laughs> Trim around it. Yeah, cut that out. <laughs> anyway, um, number two, we are talking about an old show. It is now, was it 98 the first season 99. came out? 99. Okay. Yes. Um, so it came out just as the Bill Clinton regime, regime was wrapping up. Um, is regime the right word? Administration. Uh, administ- yes, it America. would be administration. Um, regime, regime sounds, sounds like more a, like a dictator. It does, yeah. like Putin or something. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's the West Wing. Callum, take it away. Okay, so the West Wing is about the fictional president at the time. He's been in office for a year. Uh, Josiah or Jed Bartlett. And the show follows the day-to-day um, machinations of his closest staff members as they try to unpick 
little problems that kind of flare up throughout the day. So um, probably the main two worth talking about, uh, just so it's not an overly long um, plot description, is um, Josh Lyman, the Deputy Chief of Staff. He's kind of the audience proxy for a lot of people because he's the one that became the bit of the breakout. He eventually got the big romantic plot line. Um, uh, he's sarcastic, he's sardonic, but he's... He's a, a good guy who's trying to do the best that he can to serve for the president. Um, you've got um, uh, Leo McGarry, who is the uh, chief of staff, who is best friends with um, with um, Jed Bartlett. And they've been working this thing together. And then you've got various other people. So I think, like I said, I don't want to kind of overly do it. So I think the only kind of main other one to mention is Sam Seaborn, because he's played by Rob Lowe. And at the time, a big movie star showing up uh, in a TV show like that was kind of seen not as... Well, two of them. Yeah, two of them, because you also have Martin Sheen as the president. It was kind of seen not as the thing to do, not as the done thing. And, and I think at the time, was he not the highest paid person in I think TV? He, I, think I think they was. were like... I think it was like half a million dollars an episode. Something crazy. And yeah, each episode deals with kind of, there'll be a problem that flares up. There'll be a few continuing plot lines. So in season one, you have uh, the concern of Jed's daughter dating Charlie Young, who is a, a young black man who is the president. I can't remember what they call him. Like uh, he, he does all of kind body of man. his body man, does all his kind of uh, bits and pieces, kind of fetches him and fetches other people if he's going into a meeting. A young black man. And um, which has this kind of undercurrent that runs throughout the season. There's a war that's kind of on the brink of breaking out between Pakistan and India. And there's various kind of bits and pieces that keep flaring up. But in the kind of each episode has a, a day to day problem. And then there'll be these few currents going through. Uh, so, Johnny, the first season of The West Wing, what was it that you thought Without saying it was all right. You're not allowed to use that phrase. Yeah, it was not too bad. <laughs> Clever. Uh, yeah, I have always liked the West Wing. Um, it, uh, this starts with the neg negative, one negative verse. I do think it feels dated now. It, it absolutely does. I think um, considering what's happened in the world of politics and also the world of TV, it feels dated. But also it's still really enjoyable. Um, so although you kind of it almost like it's like looking at the world through a pair of rose tinted glasses when everyone was still sensible and even the people on the other side, you just have a big argument with them because you believed that, in different things. That was a bang. It was a bang. Um, you just have an argument because you believed in different things, not um, just completely uh, have mental people that you can't actually argue with in politics, which is, seems to be certainly on well, on the far left and the far right at the minute, which everything seems to be quite polarised and extreme. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just a rosy, wonderful little world. Uh, and it's just quite nice to watch that. I actually, the last time I watched all of The West Wing was when Trump got elected. I was like, just give me President Butler. <laughs> Let him tell you something folksy about yeah. uh, something like, oh, did you know that? And then he'll go on one of yeah. his rants. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, no, uh, a learned nerd who just wants to get on with people and has morals and occasionally gets angry and occasionally thinks the wrong things, but at the end of the day makes the right decision. <laughs> um, but no, it is, it's it, the, it, the current affairs stuff, although they're not very current anymore, is very well done and very of its time. Um, I'm actually now rewatching the second season. 
Um, and there's quite a lot of stuff in there around um, uh, uh, getting kind of generic drugs for third world countries, particularly around AIDS and debt forgiveness and things like that, which are all things now that actually have been, I wouldn't say dealt with because there was always problems coming up with things like that, but they, you know, they've actually done stuff about. And, and it's so from that point of view, it's quite an interesting time capsule as well. Incredibly well acted. Everyone is very like top-notch actors and you have to be to keep up with an Aaron Sorkin script. The script is very fast-paced, very well written, overwritten at times, uh, which is an Aaron Sorkin trait. It does sound like screenwriters talking to each other. (laughs) Again, this is a thing from the second season, but in the second season there's an episode where it's the Sam Seaborn character who is one of the two script writers along with Toby Ziegler. Um, They... Uh, he is the NASA have written this think this speech for the president to say when they're going to do this like live thing with kids in schools, um, and he starts to read it and he's like, um, I th- "Can I just um, like start rewriting this?" Um, and they're like, and the guy from NASA's like offended, like, "No, no, no! The only, I, I've written this. It should be. It's fine. The only person who can tell me to rewrite this is the president." And then the president immediately starts reading it and he's like, "Who wrote this?" He's like, "Oh, it was me, sir." Um, Sam, can you um, can you tidy it up? And then Sam immediately starts like s- saying one, and it just sounds like a music, speech by a screenwriter. Swells. And he he delivers it. I remember that scene. He delivers it in a way that they do in television when you really want to be inspired by something. But one sounded like you know just poor, yes. well, like you know mid level kind of writing for an email that goes around a company and then the, his one's like something that someone would do it every episode has a speech in it that's worthy of like the end of a 200 million dollar action yeah. movie from the hero <laughs> <laughs> it has that moment so yeah you know it's um it's definitely kind of it's definitely overwritten at times but then that's quite enjoyable certainly if you if you're like me and i i quite like wordy things i like inner monologues i like people talking i like dialogues so as long as it's done well um I, actually, I can be very critical of dialogue. Dan Brown, I look at you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Callum, what do you think? No, I think much the same. Um, I will also front load with a flaw just because, um, you know, it's best to do that with things you like that aren't perfect. Um, this is of early television and early prestige television. They didn't expect you to binge it. They didn't expect a box set to come out, which was going to happen like a couple of years after that DVD box sets. And then like, years after that streaming, at the time it was coming out, they would go, oh, that thing is not working. Just get rid of it. No one will notice. No one will ever talk about where that character went. But it does that thing that a lot of prestige television did at the time, where if a character wasn't working out, it's fine to get rid of a character who's not working out. They still do it today on television today. But what they'll do today is they'll make sure to write them out properly. They'll give them an ending. They'll they'll um, make sure that that character is given a send off, even if they weren't popular. So to make sure that it narratively flows, because they know there'll be people watching four or five episodes a day mm. on a Sunday, rainy Sunday afternoon. Or a hot Sunday like today. Oh, on a hot Sunday like today, a really hot Sunday like today. So uh, there's a character in season one who didn't work out, and you can tell she's not working out from the first episode. She just doesn't have the same thing that clicks with everyone else. And she's played by Moria Kelly. And, I mean, the acting's fine. The writing for her just doesn't work. So by season two, it's like, gone, never to be mentioned ever again. And that was an early television thing. And Mm. there's a few things like um, plots of the week where things come up, they get resolved. And then the characters will make the exact same mistake the next week where, you know, um, Josh, you shouldn't be so, you know, up your own arse and hot-headed. And by the end of the episode, he'll be humbled 
And then the next episode will do exactly the same thing and every character will kind of reset every episode, which is like television at the time. They weren't expecting you. They just wanted you to like that episode. I actually episode. think it got better at doing more arcs towards the end of its run. Okay. So I think that I feel like in the first season, you get that a lot where you get, you get it's almost like monster of the week or crime yes, of the week, exactly. but it's politics of the week. And then there's one or two overarching things that go yes, through Yes, like the it. India thing and, and the Charlie yeah. Young thing. And also some of the things with like President's Health and Leo's yes. drinking and things like that. Um, but they then become bigger and more, there's more kind of two and three part episodes and things there's certainly longer arcs as it gets into later seasons. And I think, obviously, we watch the first season, and especially on, like, network shows, I always think first seasons, there tends to be a lot of, like, finding that you, there's a character exactly. that's completely finding pointless. finding the show and, that is going to... Because you can't know what's going to work yeah. or not. And, and, and they didn't know how wildly popular it would be, and it became must-see TV, yes, and it was absolutely. before the days, obviously, of... Of, well, it was before you know, the days digital. of must-see TV. Right. Like, um, must-see TV wasn't really a thing unless you were the X-Files. Mm-hmm. Well, well this, yeah. Uh, this was the next one. This was, like, the this biggest the next drama one. at yeah, the time exa- on exactly. TV. Um, and, but it was before DVRs. It was before, you know, people might have just about recorded it on VHS. Yeah, if stuff. you were lucky. And that was, like, two episodes, maybe. But by the end of its run, because I think, did it, was it six or seven seasons? It was six or seven. And by uh, the point it finished, DVD was, was DVRs, very much so, a thing. So they then started to have a bit more, I think that allowed them to do those yes. longest episodes. But of course, uh, just from my perspective, just because I, I haven't watched seasons two to uh, six, which is the ones I've seen, and I haven't seen season seven at all for many a year. So I'm only kind of, mm. my opinion is only on this season. And this season has a little bit of that early oh, no, television. I agree with you. Yeah, um, yeah, but I otherwise, uh, the writing is great. What I found really sweet was that it started to feel like really good Spielberg because mm. the music is very John Williams-esque or Thomas Newman. So I started feeling it's like if uh, Steven Spielberg, like you said, like the speech that comes at a $200 million movie, if Sp- Steven Spielberg wrote a president in a film, they probably look and sound very similar to Jed Bartlett. Um, his staff would probably look and sound similar mm-hmm. um, with similar dialogue. Because like uh, we were saying earlier, at the end of the episode, they deliver a speech, music swells, do 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 and we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to fight for our country. And, you know, you stand because up. Because it's the right the thing, thing to, to do. do. And you... <laughs> woo! Uh, you applaud. You, you know, and it's just... It does make for very comfortable viewing. Like, mm-hmm. Succession is objectively much better. I struggled to get... I, I, after about two to maybe three episodes of Succession per day, I was like, all right, that's enough backbiting and, and clawing of eyes and fighting and arguing. I, I just can't do any more today. This I could easily. I, there was a day it was like oh, it's probably another episode, yeah, another yeah. episode, another episode, another episode. It was just so sweet and like you said, nice people who sometimes get things wrong, but more or less they're, they're good people trying to do the best for their country. Oh man, especially right now we've uh, Donald Trump has just been indict, indicted for the second time for the but second this is, time. But this is a federal indictment, yeah. and a federal indictment. You know and. In that landscape... Boris Johnson. And Boris Johnson is, is gone. And in that landscape, every time there's political strife in the world, people will be revisiting the West Wing. If you go to mm. any clip, clip of the West Wing, the comments will be from a point when something I really horrible happened. I politics happened. was like this yeah. now. Exactly. Just like I said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's sweet in all the ways it should be. It's overwritten, but nicely so for the most part. Um, the flaws are, you know, the kind of flaws that you expect for television that came out in 99. Mm. Uh, so they're forgivable. So really nothing really to fault it. 
Yeah, fair enough. So I think that probably wraps up our reviews for the week. I think so. Um, so Callum, first off, Succession, what's your scores on the doors? I didn't expect to give it this because the first time I watched it, I was really struggling, but a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I am going to agree. I think it is probably the best show of this decade so far. Um, yeah, probably. Certainly over a four episode. Obviously not everything from this decade has concluded, but actually there is quite a few things there now. There have been concluding. a few, I mean, a few shows have concluded almost in the same week as Succession yeah, did. yeah. Um, yeah, it was quite a big week for conclusions, actually. It uh, it, yeah, I suppose it was tail end of the last century, uh, last decade as well. Yes. But it was, it wasn't, I think it was 2019, maybe the first and season. And it certainly ingrained itself in the top 5% of television evs. Yeah, exactly. Um, incredibly well acted. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't watched it, go and watch it. And if you don't like it, you're an idiot. Fix that soon. <laughs> um, and secondly, uh, what would you give season one of West Wing? Judging only season one, I'd say with a couple of minor niggles, a 9 out of 10. Yeah, okay. And nice. uh, it, it just works, you know, and it's sweet. And it's sweet in just the right way, on the right side of saccharin. Um, a few odds and ends where you go, oh, didn't like that, oh, that character, oh, and, and that thing. And what happened to that plot line? But otherwise, it just works. I kind of think, for me, the first season, is, it points is a bit clunky. And already into the second, now I'm watching the second season, I, I feel it picking up. So judging just the first season, I'm going to give it an eight, okay. almost a seven, but an eight out of ten. Um, but I think it gets to a nine. Um, and then it drops off again towards the end of it. But And you're coming up to two cathedrals, which is one of the best TV yeah. episodes ever in one TV One of the episodes. best speeches ever as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Old man yells at the god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but no it is um yeah it's it's a well very well done show um and you haven't and, and like like you say it's very bingeable very easy i think that's another thing as well i i don't want a 10 out of 10 show to binge because you want to savor it and actually uh, okay with succession i've quite enjoyed watching it one episode a week i yeah. think it's been quite it's given me a week to, it's almost like watching a really good movie and then yeah i don't think i could have done more than two episodes per week per day sorry yeah because i was like all right i can't they too much shouting. Where, stop throwing sausages at Craig. Whereas actually like an 8 out of 10 show is nice and easily easy to binge. Like I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's another reason. But you can let it go that. in one ear and out the other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to like pay too much attention. <laughs> but no, I, I really rate the, I really rate the rest of So yeah, I, I would say get through the first season. Well, you don't need to get through yeah, You'll enjoy the first very season. very good. I really liked it. Um, but then you'll really like it after that. But yeah, I think that wraps up this week. So thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day. Thanks, fam. Bye. Bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.